Remembrance service this morning, and uh, if you're watching online, you're very welcome to join us uh, this morning. Also, um, John Gurley just approached me this morning. Some of you will know John, and he asked me to announce that his wife and and his wife Kay Gurley passed away uh, recently. Can't hear. Okay, this is on. Hello? Is that, is that coming through better now? Okay. okay. Can you hear me a bit? I'll try. I'll raise my voice until I know that uh, these are definitely hearing me and you might be a bit deaf then by the end of the service. But uh, John Gurley approached me this morning and uh, asked me to announce that his wife Kay had passed away recently. The funeral was on Monday the 31st of, August, 31st of October um, and just he knows that some of you will know Kay and himself uh, from years ago um, when they used to come here quite regularly. So he wanted to let you know about that and our thoughts and our prayers go out to John and his family. After the service today there will not be a wee cup of tea or a coffee as such um, but please welcome, please stay behind for uh, soup lunch instead of tea and coffee. You'll probably get a cup of tea after your, after your soup. But any donations today from the soup, soup lunch will be going to help repair and manage our buildings. Okay. Okay. Just also a, wee quick, a quick reminder that the shoe boxes will be received uh, this week. Those things are on your order of service, the Times. Uh, that the church will be open to bring them. Walter Hope, who is involved with Samaritan's Purse, he's part of their disaster assistance response team. He was involved with, in, in setting up uh, the, the first hospital in Ukraine during the war there. And um, he'll be talking about his experiences at Life Lounge on the 27th of November at half past seven. United Appeal have been asked to remind you of the money we give each year to the United Appeal at the moment. Uh, we're presently falling short of the target given to us by Church House. So I know times are tough, but if you could make up your giving between now and the end of the year, that would be greatly appreciated. Um, there'll be a Kirk Session meeting this Tuesday, the 15th of November, at half past seven um, on Zoom. Uh, we plan to hold a worship and prayer time on the third Sunday evening of each month. Uh, starting on Sunday the 20th of November, that's next November. Uh, the event will be held in the quiet room starting at half past seven um, and it would great, be great to see as many people as possible. I'd love to have the problem of not enough space in the quiet room to move it in to the church and I'll be showing you a little video and we'll be doing a wee bit of worship. We're connected up with the television in the quiet room. We'll be doing a wee bit of worship watching a little video about the, the revival in the Outer Hebrides and what God did in power out there and asking the question, do we believe he can do it in Ballycrocken? So that's next Sunday night at half past seven. Bible Sunday, every year in Ballycrocken, we distribute Bibles to children in P1 and, and young people in year eight. Uh, this will occur on Sunday the 27th of November. Um, that'll be the family service. Uh, we also present to those who have joined during the year, so please can you contact Michael Brackenridge regarding any children or any young people 
who you know are eligible to fall into those categories this year. Um, also, uh, at the end of our Remembrance Day service, John Armstrong will be at the back. Now, there's a retiring offering for the Earl Hague Fund, which we do each year. And if you'd like to give anything to that, he will have a basket out in the vestibule. Um, I think there's just one more announcement, and I'm going to hand over to Ben. He's going to just come and, and chat a wee bit about the work that he's doing with regards to the drop-in. Morning, everyone. So, as some of you may be aware, a few of us are starting up a drop-in on Tuesday evenings from 7 to half 8, and we're actually opening that up now to people in Year 7, P7. So, if you know anyone who's in P7 to Year 12, or you yourself are P7 to Year 12, feel free to come along. We'd love to see you there. We've got pool, ping-pong, Xbox, Wii, board games, and lots of leader banter, and we'll be going through the Gospel of Mark, and it'll just be a really good, chill evening, and it's got some really vibey fairy lights. So please, if you can make it, or you know someone who'd love it, feel free to let them know and come along. And we'd love to see you there on Tuesday night. So, thank you. Let's just settle our hearts, because this is quite a, a, a somber service, a somber occasion, as we remember many lives that were laid down, that we might know freedom today. Second Corinthians verses three to four. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Let's pray. Father, we just want to come and settle our hearts. We pray, Father, that the PA system would work properly and have no feedback that you would deal with that. We pray, Lord, that, that your presence would come upon us, that our focus might be on those who give everything, Lord, those who laid down their lives, that we might know freedom, that we might know peace. Lord, it's easy to forget. Help us, Lord. Put them on our hearts this morning. Help us to remember the cost and to be thankful. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to stand and sing, O oh God, our help in ages past.
In Flanders fields the poppies blow between the crosses, row on row, that mark our place and in the sky the larks still bravely singing fly. Scarce heard amidst the gods below, we are the dead. Short days ago we lived, felt dawn, saw sunset glow, loved and were loved, and now we lie in Flanders fields. Take up our quarrel with the foe, to you from failing hands we throw the torch, be yours to hold it high, if ye break faith with us who die. We shall not sleep, though poppies grow in Flanders fields. I'm sure you'd agree with me when I say that it's important that our children and our grandchildren learn about why we have Remembrance Day, that they understand and appreciate the price which was paid for so, by so many that we might live as we do in freedom. And so before we have our official act of remembrance, we're going to watch a short video designed to help children to understand uh, what went on. Um, and what goes on in war. Remembrance Day is the day when we do a lot of what? Remembering. We remember some very serious things on Remembrance Day. All the people that died in wars. Sometimes army stuff looks pretty cool. Explosions, fancy dangerous machines. But actually being in a war is pretty terrible. Because people who are fighting in wars get hurt or they die. Or their friends get hurt or die. And they're away from their families for very long periods of time. They can come home from the war very sad. And sometimes they don't even want to talk about it. But the reason they went to the war was to try to protect other people. Or sometimes they do this fighting in order to eventually make peace in a different way. So these people make a big sacrifice. War is terrible, but these people are brave because they go to it anyway. On Remembrance Day, we remember them and their amazing bravery and courage as they set aside their own safety to try to work towards peace and a better world. So this Remembrance Day, wear your poppy and express your thankfulness to those brave people who went to war so that we could live in peace. Let's pray. Father, we think of the pain that's caused through war and conflict. Children left without fathers or mothers, many maimed, many killed, many left without loved ones, some left with nothing but a photograph and their memories. 
We pray, Father, that you might heal hurts deep down within, hurts caused by the heartbreak that war causes and the pain in particular that 30 years of troubles in Northern Ireland has brought about. We pray for those who have served in our armed forces, those at home and overseas, those who perhaps have been left with scars from what they've seen and experienced, those who struggle perhaps to come to terms with physical injuries, emotional trauma, grief from losing brothers in battle. May your spirit give them deep peace and remove through time the nightmares that haunt them. You are the God of peace. Bring healing, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would the congregation please stand? The reading this morning comes from the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, verses 10 to 18. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore put on the full armour of God so that when the day of evil comes you may be able to stand your ground and after you have, after you have done everything you stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the steadiness or the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit with the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with the kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for the Lord's people. They shall grow not old as we that are left grow old. Age shall not weary them, nor the years condemn. At the going down of the sun, and in the morning, we will remember them. We will remember them.
Hallelujah, and say for your tomorrow, we give our today. Let's join together with Abide With Me 
And the children can leave for Sunday School Club just after this hymn.
to invite Bill uh, Aiken to come up again, and he's going to pray. Heavenly Father, it is such a privilege to be able to offer our prayers in remembrance of all those who have died as a result of war and terrorism. This morning, we remember with love and gratitude those who gave their today for our tomorrow. And so, Father, we pray for all who have lost their lives in the defense of our country during the First and Second World Wars and in the many other wars and conflicts down the years. We pray that their sacrifice and memory may inspire us and our leaders to always seek peaceful and practical ways in dealing with disputes between nations. We pray for those who work for peace, for those who take enormous risks to help those who are victims of war, for those who sacrifice their own comfort and security, and for those crushed by their experiences of war. May the risen Christ Fill them with his grace. We also remember and pray for the families and friends of those who have laid down their lives. Dear Lord, may they have the peace of mind and comfort that only you can give. We pray for all those presently serving in our armed forces and emergency services, that they may find the courage and the strength to face whatever dangers and challenges fall on them, to keep us safe. We pray this morning for members of the Royal Irish Regiment who are currently on operational duty in the event of further escalation of war against adjoining friendly nations by Russian forces. We pray for the many members of the Royal Ulster Constabulary, George Cross, for its reserve, for the Ulster Defence Regiment and the Royal Irish Regiment, and more recently the Police Service of Northern Ireland, who lost their lives from terrorism in Northern Ireland for, the last, for, for over 30 years. We pray for the thousands of them who were injured, many of whom carry their injuries, both physical and mental, to this day. And we pray for their families who bore the stress and strain and worry or their loved ones. Father, we pray for your world, for those who have responsibility for plans and decisions that will affect the lives of many, and for those peacemakers that seek to bring an end to conflict. We pray for the confrontational and hostile leaders of the world, particularly those in the nuclear-armed nations of Russia, Iran and North Korea. We pray that you will influence and guide them in the ways of peace, of justice and of truth, in contrast to talking through the barrel of a gun. We pray that the current terrible war in the Ukraine will soon come to an end with a peaceful outcome. And we pray this morning knowing that it is only you, you alone, Father, who can bring peace to this troubled world and heal the suffering brought about by war and terrorism. And now, Father, in a few moments of silence, we bring to you our personal prayers 
Prayers for those members of our own families, people we know or have known, people who may have suffered from the effects of war and terrorism through physical or mental injury, or those who have mourned the loss of loved ones. So let us now spend a few moments just to pray our own personal prayers in silence. And finally, Father, on this solemn day, as we remember with gratefulness those who gave their lives for our safety and freedom, may we always remember that your beloved Son, Jesus, gave his life for all of humanity. And so we earnestly pray that his loving influence will prevail over all the evils that man has brought to this sinful world, and that all nations may accept their differences and live together in peaceful harmony. And we offer these prayers through Jesus Christ, our Saviour, and Prince of Peace. Amen. Thank you, Bill. I'm going to ask uh, Billy Heintman now to come and do our uh, second reading. Our reading is from 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verses 12 to 16. The Lord appears to Solomon. The Lord appeared to Solomon at night and said, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a temple for sacrifices. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command locusts to devour the land, or send a plague among the people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. I have chosen and consecrated this temple so that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. Amen. Thank you, Billy. I'm going to stand and, and sing nearer my God to thee.
Let's pray, Heavenly Father, we just, we pray, God, that you might stir our hearts, that, Father, that you might light up our hearts, that you may rekindle them with a passion and a fire for you, with a love for you, in Jesus' name. Amen. The Western Front is the well-known battlefield of the First World War. Uh, the Western Front was the place where the most powerful military forces in Europe, the German and the French uh, armies, met and where the First World War would be decided. And while Belgium, which was to be a neutral country, was attacked by the Germans, Britain then stepped into the war. Uh, my own grandfather served in the trenches in France as a soldier in the Royal Irish Rifles. The German army had come within 43 miles of Paris, but at the first battle of the Marne, the French and the British troops, they were able to force back the Germans so that they could no longer make it into France. They had to retreat. And they retreated north, and the Germans dug in there, and they established the beginnings of what was a, a static Western Front, i.e. the trenches, that was to last for the next three years. And both sides dug in and created trenches, stretching from the North Sea to the Swiss frontier with France. And by the end of the war in November 1918, the front line had barely moved. Almost three million soldiers died there, often while fighting to gain only a few hundred meters of ground. Almost 17 million people lost their lives in the First World War. You know, in our history and in our world, there are visible signs of the fight between good and evil, visible signs of a spiritual battle between light and darkness. But during peacetime, during peacetime, how do we explain fractured societies and fractured homes and fractured lives. During King Solomon's reign, Israel had, had never had it so good. It was peacetime, all was quiet on the Western Front. It was a rarity in Israel. They were usually fighting with someone. But this was a peacetime, and because it was peacetime, Solomon was able to extend his borders more than any king ever had. And he was able to import the best of cedar wood which, uh, with, with which to build the temple. That's just a picture of the Western Front. But in Solomon's day, David having done a lot of fighting previously, now Solomon's reign, there was peace and all was quiet on the Western Front. You know, the, Solomon's temper, temple, there was never a temple built quite like Solomon's. None, none stronger and none so ornate, none so rich, and now it was finished. And Solomon, in this peacetime, in front of thousands of people, he prays his prayer of dedication, and the fire comes from heaven, consuming the sacrifice, and the glory of the Lord, we're told, fills the whole temple. So much so that the priests can't get in. Can you imagine coming here on a Sunday morning and being unable to get into church because the glory of the Lord and the presence of the Lord 
is so filled in this place that you can't enter. What an incredible day for Solomon. What an incredible day for the people. And as the road sweepers come in to clear everything away, to clear away the rubbish that was left behind, in that quietness, the Lord comes again. Not this time in a blaze of glory, but gently, quietly, in response to Solomon's earlier prayer. And the Lord says to Solomon, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. I am going to be in this place. I'm going to answer your prayers. When you call to me, I will not be deaf. I will be listening and I will respond. I am making this place my home. Solomon's probably thinking, what an incredible day. Going to bed that night, maybe thinking, how could you top this day? The sun's shining, the birds are singing, God is in his heaven, everything is brilliant. You know, what a building this temple is. What a, what a building this church is. But the church is not the building. The church is the people. God will not have any problems with the temple as in the building. He'll not have any problems with the church as in the building, but he will have problems with people. You know, we can often blame Satan for our mistakes and failings, but isn't it true that very often we're our own worst enemies? Is it not true that our own downfall is often the result of our selfish and rebellious hearts, our own disobedience. Yes, we're in a spiritual battle. We're in a spiritual battle, but part of that spiritual warfare involves a battle within our own sinful natures. And God is saying to Solomon, Solomon, everything's rosy now. This has been a good day. This has been a very good day. Everything's rosy now. But give it time. Give it time, Solomon. And it's in that context that God continues to speak uh, to Solomon. God says to him, when I shut up heaven. It's not a case of if, but it's a case of when. There's going to come a time when you pray, Solomon, and when your people pray, and the heavens will be brass. And they, your prayers won't get through. When I shut up heaven. You see, God knows the condition of man's heart. One day he can be praising him. The next day he can be denying him. And he says a number of things as a result will happen. He says there'll be no rain. He says there will be no rain. And no rain means no crops. And what little there is, he says, will be eaten by locusts. Bring in starvation. Bring in disease. Heaven will be closed when man turns his heart away from God. When man decides to be disobedient, he says, when I shut up heaven, I'm going to do it. It's going to happen. Not that I want to do it, but people will turn away from me. Give it time. You know, even in peace, we can't blame other nations now. Solomon can't blame Babylonia, can't blame Assyria 
we're in peacetime. And it kind of put a, puts a bit of a damper on Solomon's day. And the most likely question going on in Solomon's head now is, well, whenever this happens, what can we do? What can we do to open heaven again? To open the brass ceiling that our prayers can go through? Now God uses if. And he makes his promise conditional. He gives four things. There are four combinations, he tells us, which will unlock heaven again. And don't we need heaven unlocked to us again? When we look in our province, we look in the world, we look in our community, don't we need heaven opened again in our church and in our hearts. First combination that God gives to Solomon is if my people will humble themselves. Before Jesus came, humility was not seen as a value to be sought after. Rather, it was something, it was a weakness if you were humble, as a, as a flaw in someone's character. But humility, of course, true humility is nothing to do with that. It's nothing to do with weakness. True humility is a strength. But true humility comes about by seeing ourselves in the light of who God is. When Moses meets on Sinai, he meets God, he, he replies, who am I? And when Isaiah meets him, his response is, woe is me. And when Peter meets him for the first time, Peter says, depart from me for I'm a sinner. I am a sinful man, O oh Lord. You know, when we first come to Jesus Christ, we feel, that, we feel that way, don't we? We realize there's nothing we can do to save our own souls. We need Christ. And we come with humility, and we come with brokenness, and we come with pleading. But as time passes, pride can very easily begin to settle, set in and we may start to feel that God couldn't do without us. Humbling ourselves before God is not a one-off event, but it is something that continues. It's remaining in that position before God, bended knees, wet eyes, broken heart. And that's, that's the first combination. God says, you know, you want heaven to be open again? Then humble yourself before me. And second combination for an open heaven is, and pray. You know, being in that place of humility, that should have like a domino effect. It should have a knock-on effect. Where in recognizing our weakness before God, we recognize our need for his strength. We recognize our need for him. Our prayers of, Lord, bless me, change to prayers of, Lord, help me, help me. If my people will pray. I remember visiting an elderly man in Straban in a nursing home. I was in with him quite frequently. He used to have wonderful war stories. 
Uh, he lived in London during the war. Uh, he tried to join the RAF, but he was turned down. But he fulfilled another very important role. He worked in the RAF canteen, uh, feeding the pilots and the navigators and the crew as they came back from, from flight missions and uh, before they went out again. A very important role. But he was telling me he was there for the Blitz, and uh, he told me that he got to know by the sound of the bombs whistling through the air what type of bombs they were and which were the ones to really be the worst, have the worst impact. He got to know that. And as age began to tell on this man's frail body, it came to the point that he could barely see and he could barely hear. And the last time I saw him alive, I mentioned just before I left that I was going to pray. And I wasn't expecting what happened next. He'd been lying in his bed, his little arms, so thin, his legs, you could nearly put your hand around his legs, so thin, so weak. But he, he pushed and shuffled his way to the end of the bed, and I didn't know what he was doing. Next thing I saw him try to get onto the floor, and he bent down onto the floor, and with his little knees, and turned around to the bed, and put his hands together, clasped them in front of him, and waited for me to pray. And I've never forgotten that. It's a, a picture of humility before God. And God says, if my people pray, humble themselves, pray. Instead of, Lord, bless me, Lord, help me. We want this church to be blessed. Yes, we do, but we want God to be in the center and to help us because we can do nothing without Christ. I remember Alan Redpath saying, show me a church's prayer meeting and I'll tell you how strong the church is. How easily we can fill our churches with programs while our prayer meetings are practically empty. Without prayer, a church is disabled. And Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. If my people will humble themselves and pray. Third combination, God tells them, seek my face. Seek my face. Don't be satisfied with your relationship with Christ the way it is now. Don't get into a comfort zone and thinking, I've made it, I'm saved, I'm a Christian, I'm all right, Jack. Don't. Don't settle for that. God says, seek my face. David in Psalm 27, verse 8, the Lord says, when you said, seek my face, my heart response is, your face, Lord, I will seek. May that be the response of each person, not to settle in the comfort zone of the relationship with Christ, but to want more and more and more. In Scripture, God's face is used to refer to intimacy, getting up close to God. At a distance, you may, feel the out you may see the outline of a person, perhaps the color of their clothes, maybe the, the, what they're wearing, maybe, you know, the style of how they walk, but to see the color of their eyes, to see the complexion of their expression on their face, 
whether they're happy or sad, you need to be up close. And that's what God is saying when he says, seek my face. He's saying, get up close, close enough to see how I feel. How often have we made important decisions in our personal lives and in church life, important decisions made while standing too far away from God? Where does God want this church to be in five or ten years' time? What's the road that he has mapped out for you to travel? I'm sure you've asked him that question. Well, God says, well, do you want to find out? Stay close. Stay close and get closer still. And the fourth and final combination that God gives to Solomon to open heaven is repentance and turn from their wicked ways. The difficulty is that we don't fully understand our capacity to sin. It's our nature. It's ingrained in us. We can easily look at other people and see their sin. But to see our own sin, that's more difficult. It's the most natural thing in the world for us to sin. And Jeremiah writes, the heart is deceitfully wicked and above all things. And sorry, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? You know, we keep hearing how this winter could be very difficult for us, trying to stay warm in our homes. And we'll look forward, I'm sure we always look forward, but particularly this year, we might look forward even more to spring coming when the snowdrops peek their wee heads up out of the soil and when the daffodils begin to shine in the sun. We'll look forward to that. But something probably... It's probably the women do this more, but I don't want to be sexist, but uh, they don't, we don't look forward to spring cleaning. Um, and the difficulty is that the sun begins to shine in through our windows and we begin to notice dust lurking in places, dust we never noticed in the winter. But as the sun shines through, you ask yourself, where did all that dust come from? And as the light of God shines in our hearts, as we get closer and closer and closer to him, we begin to see the stains which we perhaps had never seen before. Like Isaiah standing in God's presence, his expression of relations, of, he's just he's absolutely blown away by seeing the Lord right in front of him, and then he realizes, goodness, Goodness, God could take me at this point. He realizes he sees stains in his own heart and life that he's never seen before. And he goes, woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips. I thought I was clean. But when I stand in the presence of God and in contrast to the holiness of God, I see something different. If my people, God says, will turn from their wicked ways. Repentance, of course, is also not a one-off event. It's continuous. And, and it's not something negative, but it's rather something positive. As we recognize sin, it gives us the opportunity to deal with sin and to leave it behind and to make more room for Christ 
in our hearts. So those are four combinations. If my people will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and repent, repent simply means it's metanoia, it means change of mind. It's a change of mind from following my own selfish, sinful desires that I want to turn and I want to give my heart to follow Christ 100%. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Four combinations to open heaven straight from God promises you know most religions in the world could tick those boxes most could claim that's what they're about humility prayer seeking God repentance but what makes it real for us see something that we have that, that no one else has Christ. Christ. We have Christ. And as Christ hung on that cross, that day beaten, bruised, bleeding, before his death, he managed to get the energy to just say, it is finished. He cries out, it is finished. And then he, he dies. And in that moment the massive big thick massive big veil much higher than this twice as high as this four times as thick as this it suddenly is split from top to bottom showing as a symbol that now that christ has paid the price for our sin god's presence is open and available to whoever will trust in him Heaven is open once and for all. Victory is won. All is quiet on the Western Front. And that's what makes it real to us. Christ's accomplished work. Up to that moment, the battle was anyone's. But now the victory belongs to Christ. And three days later, the victory is verified. It's signed, sealed, and delivered as he walks out of that tomb. And God says, I will hear, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. I will forgive their sin and heal their land. How does a land get healed? That's a big, big venture. Well, it starts with the individual getting healed, then the family getting healed then the community getting healed, then the nearby community getting healed, until it's the land being healed. That leaves the church with such a responsibility, doesn't it? To bring the reality of what Christ has done into people's lives, into people's homes, and that's what we want to do here in Ballycrocken. That's why we're here. That's what we're living for, to reach people with the gospel 
that Christ has broken down the wall that they might have open access to God and to heaven. The church is the people. The church is made up of individuals. Therefore, it's each individual's responsibility to check in our own lives these four combinations. We need to check regularly in our own lives these four combinations. We may never see national revival. I pray that we do, but we may never see national revival. But by putting in place in our own lives these four combinations, God guarantees, God promises that we know personal revival in our own hearts that we will know a love and a passion for Christ that we've never had before. We'll know a fresher relationship with Jesus Christ that we've never experienced before. And that will, without doubt, touch people's lives around us. For us through Calvary, there's peace. All is quiet on the Western Front. But just in closing, the amount of ground that we take, and I said at the beginning about the Second World War, millions of people died over a matter of meters of land trying to get forward on the Western Front. Millions died for that. The amount of ground that we take for Christ, for the kingdom of God, depends upon the amount of prayer we invest. When I was a child, I'm not sure if I shared this with you before, forgive me if I have, but um, my dad needed axle grease for his old car. And he asked his friend who worked in shorts, airport, uh, the aircraft factory, if he could get him any axle grease. So his friend got him some and he looked around for a container and he stuck it in an old cylinder that he had found just lying on shorts floor. And uh, it was the 70s when the troubles were at their peak. One day my dad was stopped at an army checkpoint and he was asked to get out of the car for a routine search. And he was asked to open his boot and there for the world to see was a cylinder with red bold print lettering on the side of it, explosives. Now, the young army private called over his sergeant and it took my dad a, a, a very long time to reassure him that there were actually no explosives inside this canister, only axle grease. Is the church like that today? No power inside, only axle grease. There's no power where there's no prayer. God calls us to pray and to wrestle in prayer for men and women's souls, for this community, for the morals and the values to be held in this community. What God gives us in 2 Chronicles 7 is a health check for our churches, but it's also a health check for each individual who makes up the church. Four combinations for unlocking heaven Humble yourselves, pray, seek my face, turn from anything that would in any way dishonor the Lord, and I will hear from heaven. Heaven will not be brass, 
I will hear, and through Christ's death, heaven will be open to you, and I will respond and heal your land. Let's pray. Father, we want to remember those who fought and died that we might have freedom. It was a massive, massive cost where parents lost their children that they'd brought up and loved and cared for and they went off to war and that was it. Never came back. Lord, what a cost. And Lord, we know that our salvation cannot be taken for granted because what a cost it was for you to be betrayed and beaten and whipped until you were nearly dead under the whip, but then lifted and hauled onto a cross until you were finished off. That was not easy. That was difficult even for the Son of God. And we thank you for that. And I pray, Lord Jesus, there are people out there, there are people perhaps in here that don't realize the love that you have for them and what you have done for them to open heaven for them. Lord, make us clean vessels. Prepare our hearts. Set our hearts alight. Set our hearts a desire to pray and cry out for these people that they might know you and that they might know heaven. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Going to finish with... Um, a final hymn, Stand Up, Stand Up for Jesus. <clears throat>
Um, just before I say the benediction, I'd just like to, to thank our buglers, there's Gary Hall, Colin Walker and Diane Anderson, and our piper as well. Um, I've just forgotten his name. I, which, which, Scott, right? thank you very much. We really appreciate you being here. It's been tremendous. We really appreciate you taking the time to come. And, um, and Scott is going to play a piece in a moment just after the benediction. And may I just also, anybody that's a visitor here, um, please stay behind, have some soup, lunch with us. You're very, very welcome to join us. And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all, now and forevermore. Amen.